Hello and welcome to edition number 1981 of the Whitney Talking News, which we're recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 5th of October. I'm Nigel James and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Rob Oxspring, and this week we have items from North Lee, Carterton, Woodstock, Whitney, Cassington, Chipping Norton and many others. Our four readers this evening are Jenny Wiley, Dorothy Allen, Henry Spielberg and Brian Hare. So let's have our first story from Jenny, which is about home estate with no towns road. And it carries on as a disaster in the headlines. Campaigners say developers who want to build an estate with no road into town are trying to sell a chair with two legs and politicians need to wake up. Plans have been released to build a 1,250-home estate with a primary school, shops and community hub on land that stretches from Woodstock Road across the top of New Yat Road to Haley Road. An online consultation at whitneynorth.co.uk closes on October the 19th, 2023. But a West End link road to Whitney has been dropped. Instead of the road which would go from the Woodford Way Junction in the town centre across the River Windrush to the roundabout at the bottom of Haley Road, developers are proposing two active travel corridors for walking and cycling instead. Stuart Harrison, chair of the North Whitney Action Group, said it is critical. Without the West End link, you can't build North Whitney. That was always implicitly understood. But at the year 2000 values, it was estimated to cost £30 million. What you're left with is 1,200 houses being accessed by the existing road network. That's Haley Road with two schools on it, New Yat Road, Woodstock Road and Wood Green, all narrow and all residential, residential roads. They have said they would like to sell you a chair with two legs. This site is nonsense from day one and always has been. Mr Harrison said traffic on West End, Haley Road and Farmers Close will more than double with air quality issues likely on West End. He added, this area has been subject to major flooding most notably in 2007 with the flooding of houses in the Haley Road, Bridge Street and West End areas. The Haley drain floods Whitney and it is without even concreting over 142 acres of agricultural land. He said the development was a non-starter. The coalition has recognised that. I think it was every politician who's ever come across it. He said in May the developers submitted a scoping report and they got a robust response from the planning officer and us. The North Whitney Consortium, hoping to build the estate, comprises Blenheim Strategic Partners, Cranbrook Construction Limited, Gleeson Land Limited, L&Q Estates Limited and Taylor Wimpy UK Limited. It states in the master plan that when the site was allocated for development in the West Oxfordshire Local Plan 2031 and adopted in 2018, there was a requirement to deliver the West End Link Road. However, since then, Oxfordshire County Council has released further guidance that promotes active travel with additional infrastructure for private motorised modes only considered after all other options have been explored. 
It added that some of the traffic generated by the development will be offset by virtue of the delivery of Shaw's Green Slip Road that is expected to be complete in 2025. Therefore, the consortium believes that the West End Link is no longer considered to be required to to deliver this development. It adds that the site is mostly located within the Environment Agency's Flood Zone 1, which carries the lowest risk of flooding. And it said it would not build in a limited southern area of the site, which is Flood Zone 2 and 3. Mr Harrison responded, Yes, Whitney can grow. Yes, Whitney is flourishing, but there's a tipping point. The council only signed off this site in order to to deliver a ridiculous amount of housing in West Oxfordshire. They were too passive and rolled over to meet the government's targets. If they build this, it's a complete and utter disaster. It's time everybody woke up and moved on. Let's stop it now. Henry has our next story, which is about consultation on plans for West Whitney. Yes, and the headline is Consultation on Plans for Up to 600 Homes Launched. A public consultation is asking residents' views on proposals for up to 600 new homes on the outskirts of Whitney. Land promoter Hallam Land Management is preparing an outline planning application for a new housing estate on land west of Downs Road, just off the A40. The application is due to be submitted later this autumn. The site is 95 acres of farmland bordered by the Whitney Golf Club at Whitney Lakes Resort, which would be retained to the north, and the A40 running along the south. Existing cottages and a farm within the proposed site area would also stay. The company, which contributes money and expertise to optimise the chances of obtaining planning permission, states that the West Oxfordshire local plan created in 2018 steers a significant proportion of future development of Whitney, Carterton and Chipping Norton. A new local plan is being prepared and this will decide the pattern of growth to 2041. However, Hallam Land Management suggests land west of Downs Road would support planned future growth as there has already been expansion to the west of Whitney. Some 1,000 homes have been built on the Windrush Place estate, which was granted permission in 2016, and 60 homes have been built by Crest Nicholson at Colwell Green. Tungsten Park is a 24-acre business park also off Downs Road. This has meant there has also been investment made in infrastructure such as roads, schools and community uses, said Hallam. It states that the site would create a new neighbourhood with extensive landscaping and parkland, providing a range of homes including affordable housing constructed to high standards of resource efficiency with a good digital infrastructure for home working. As well as allotments and wildflower meadows, Hallam says it would incorporate a green separation from Minster Lovell through extensive woodland planting. It is proposed to build the primary access route off the roundabout at Downs Road. There would be pedestrian routes to Windrush Primary School, links to cycle routes into town and to schools, and it is proposed that bus services along Whitney Road and Main Road would be extended to serve the new estate, so that most of the development would be within 400 metres of a bus stop.
Our next story, which is going to be read by Dorothy, concerns a fireball which affected most of West Oxfordshire. And the headline is, Fireball and Power Cut After Lightning Strike. A fireball was seen for miles around and the sky was said to have pulsated orange after a lightning strike ignited biogas at a waste recycling plant. Six fire engines, 40 firefighters, police, at least four ambulances rushed to the Seven Trent Green Power Plant in Cassington. Police urged residents to stay indoors and the A40 between Wolvercote and Ensham was closed for a period as flames lit up the night sky. Power cuts were reported as far afield as Whitney, Burford, Chipping Norton and Milton under Witchwood. Chipping Norton-based waste management company Seven Trent said a digester tank was struck by lightning at around 7.30pm on Monday evening, causing the gases within the tank to ignite. The company said no one had been injured in the incident. Videos began circulating on social media showing how the night sky was turned an eerie orange after what locals described as a tremendous explosion. One Yarnton villager said the enormous bang shook the windows. A worker at the Shell petrol station on Waterstock Road said, I was at work and I didn't leave because I was scared. It was dark and suddenly everything was lit up like the sun. Paige Busher, 18, watched with a group of bystanders from the railway bridge between Yarnton and Cassington. If it had exploded, it would have been a story to tell my grandkids, she said. Another villager said, The lights all flickered in the house and the sky lit up. Another eyewitness said, Saw this strange pulsing sky out of our windows, looking northwest of Oxford. People in Yarnton and Cassington reported another tongue of flame at around 10.45pm. Locals heard the blast up to 20 miles away. Jack Froud, 34, from Oxford, said, I was sitting in my kitchen when the whole room lit up with a brilliant white light, then followed by a huge crack, which sounded like really heavy thunder. I looked out of the kitchen window and it was as if the sky was pulsating orange. Stuart Hosking from Oxford said, We were pretty close. I thought it was the sun setting until I saw the flickering and smoke. The lights flickered in the house, then a flash, then a rumble like thunder, but a single bang. On Monday night, a yellow weather warning for thunderstorms and heavy rain was in place for Oxfordshire. On Tuesday, October the 3rd, two fire engines were at the site, along with a digger and a hydraulic platform. A Seven Trent Green Power spokesman said, We'd like to thank the emergency services for their work overnight to contain and lead the incident at Cassington, where our plant was struck by lightning. Keeping our teams and local community safe has been of paramount importance and we are relieved that no one has been hurt. We will continue to work with the emergency services who are still on site as we assess the damage. And while the fire is out, we urge people not to come to the site today. A spokesperson for Oxfordshire Fire and Rescue said, Firefighters have been there all night and remain in attendance. However, 
there are now two appliances and a hydraulic platform on the scene, compared to the six crews and other support vehicles at at the height of the incident yesterday evening. The fire is under control and did not spread. Three of five tanks at the scene were damaged and many people obviously took photographs. Uh, In one here, there is a sheet of white flame above the trees. In another is a picture as if the sun was setting. And in a a third one, there is um, an overhead view of three of the tanks who were obviously very damaged. Our next story is going to be read by Brian and is about a forager who was unaware of what he was picking. And the headline <coughs> reads, Forager, unaware magic mushrooms, class A drugs. A forager who turned to magic mushrooms to deal with his mental health difficulties didn't realise the psychoactive fungi were a class A drug. Charlie Bromley, 43, was caught with a short of an ounce of shrooms when he was stopped by the police in Carterton on October 24, 2021. Also found in his rucksack was a small craft knife, which Oxford Crown Court heard was used to harvest the wild mushrooms. The defendant, who was said to have microdosed on the drug, claimed not to realise the drug were in Class A, the same category of illegal substances as cocaine, heroin and ecstasy. He said the drugs found on him when he was stopped by the police were for his own consumption, but accepted supplying the trip-inducing vegetables to others on different occasions. Sentencing recorder Rachel Drake told the defendant The police stopped you with just under an ounce of what are colloquially known as magic mushrooms. They are, in fact, a Class A drug. I accept that at the time you didn't appreciate that they were a Class A drug, although you believed they were an illegal substance, so you knew that what you were doing was wrong. But she spared him an immediate prison sentence, suspending the 18-month jail term for two years and ordering Bromley to do 150 hours of unpaid work and complete a six-month mental health treatment requirement. Bromley, of Minster Road, Bryce Norton, had pleaded guilty to an earlier hearing to being concerned in the supply of Class A drug and possession of a knife in a public place. Mitigating, James Hay said his client would welcome the intervention of mental health services, having found himself pushed to the back of the queue when he had approached them for help. He was living with his mother, had been deemed a low risk of reoffending by the probation services, and, Mr Hay suggested, there was a realistic prospect of his client being rehabilitated. Magic mushrooms were classified in law as a Class A drug in 2005. MP to head inquiry on services' homes. Whitney MP Robert Courts is to chair a committee reviewing accommodation for service families. 
Mr Courts is a member of the House of Commons Defence Select Committee and has RAF Bryce Norton in his constituency. The new subcommittee inquiry will ask what the Ministry of Defence's, MOD's, plans are to improve services, as well as modernise and invest in single living and family accommodation, and whether enough has been done to address failures in accommodation provision by the MOD. The MOD is currently refusing to allow serving personnel to contribute to the review, but Mr Courts says he strongly believes this is the wrong decision and has written to the Defence Secretary, Grant Shapps, to ask that this decision is reviewed. In the meantime, the committee is still accepting submissions of evidence from service personnel and their families, but these will be anonymous and treated confidentially. Guidance on how to make a submission is available here on this website, https colon forward slash forward slash committees dot parliament dot uk forward slash call hyphen four hyphen evidence forward slash three one nine five forward slash. Anyone with any further questions can email Robert at robertcourts.co.uk. In March, Mr Courts said he had been to see some of the RAF housing in Carterton and saw mould in family homes where children were living and repairs that had been requested but not yet completed. He said it was unacceptable that RAF families are living in substandard homes. Mr Courts said... Excuse me. Our service personnel and their families make huge sacrifices to protect our way of life. The provision of decent, livable homes is a fair and basic expectation. In recent months, numerous reports have revealed the dismal conditions that military personnel and their families have been forced to live in. I've seen with my own eyes the conditions they face, from leaky ceilings to mouldy walls. These conditions so poor they can pose substantial risks to health and well-being. The Defence Infrastructure Organisation is responsible for 49,000 military homes in the UK. It has admitted to unacceptable levels of standard and that hundreds of occupied homes had not had up-to-date gas and electrical safety inspections. The MOD has named service accommodation as a priority. Mr Court said, Our hope is that this inquiry aids the MOD and provides clear recommendations for improvements. I would be most grateful to anyone living in the service accommodation to share their experiences with, uh, with the committee as soon as possible to ensure as much evidence as possible to the MOD through this subcommittee review. This story is headlined, Town Looks Rosy as Traders Turn Pink for Charity. Whitney Businesses went to town in support of the 23rd annual Whitney in Pink fundraiser. Shops were decked out with hundreds of biodegradable pink balloons, while staff dressed in pink to raise money towards the vital research work of the Abingdon-based charity Against Breast Cancer. Pink Day was officially opened by the town mayor, Councillor Owen Collins, with town crier Jean Posselthwaite-Dixon ringing her bell and declaring the event underway. Singers and musicians set the tone for the day. 
Shoppers rocked to the Whopper Choir, Rock Choir, Bugs Ukuleles, Abbey Sachs and Horns of Plenty, who played alongside performances from burlesque and medieval dancers. It was an extra special day for the well-loved community event, as founder Jean Chateau, chairwoman of Against Breast Cancer's Whitney fundraising team, was awarded the British Empire Medal for her unstinting charity work in the King's Birthday Honours List, which was announced in June. And the headline for this article is New Oxford Tube Services from More Towns. Details of New Oxford Tube Services from West Oxfordshire to London have been finalised. Stagecoach West is adding connections from Carterton, Whitney, Ensham and High Wycombe to the 24-hour coach service. They will start on October the 23rd with a choice of, more, of four morning weekday departures from Carterton, Whitney and Ensham. The route will bypass Oxford City Centre, stopping at Thornhill Park and Ride before travelling to Hillingdon and via Baker Street to London, Victoria. Additional coaches in the fleet mean the frequency of the popular service from the centre of Oxford to London is also being improved. It will operate up to every 8 to 12 minutes on a Saturday, 10 to 15 minutes Monday to Friday, and up to every 20 minutes into the night. Stagecoach West Managing Director Rachel Gellamassi said, We're delighted to be expanding the reach of our ever-popular Oxford Tube service to West Oxfordshire, meaning even more passengers can travel into London easily. Our new stops in West Oxfordshire make daily commutes simpler for those currently having to make their way into the centre of Oxford to pick up the service. They can now start their journeys much closer to home. The next headline reads... Council backs action on rural mobile signal. Councillors say they are determined to find solutions for the problem of poor mobile phone connectivity in rural areas. West Oxfordshire District Councillors unanimously backed a motion to address the long-standing issue of inadequate mobile phone signal in villages across the district. Conservative Allah Al-Yusuf, who proposed the motion to the council meeting, said, In today's digital age, reliable connectivity is not a luxury, it is a necessity. We are determined to ensure that rural communities in West Oxfordshire have access to the same level of mobile phone services as our more urban counterparts, and that is why we wanted to bring this motion to full council. The council will engage with Digital Mobile Spectrum Limited and, as a first step, invite it to send senior representatives to brief councillors and residents at a public meeting at the earliest opportunity. Digital Mobile Spectrum Limited manages and runs the Shared Rural Network Programme which was developed by the UK's four mobile network operators, Vodafone, EE, O2 and 3, with support from the government. Liam Walker, 
who seconded the, seconded the motion, said, With all the technology available, we shouldn't be having mobile signal issues in the year 2023, and we hope this motion will help to refocus the issue. This evening we're delighted to welcome David Harper, who's going to give our reflection for the week. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. I've been rereading the book called Bounce by Matthew Syed. He's a weekly columnist in the Times newspaper. He's written two or three books and he's the former number one table tennis player in the UK and three-time winner of the Commonwealth Medals. He writes in a very articulate way about ethics, dedication, justice, fairness and, of course, sport. The basic tenet of this book, Bounce, is that the more practice makes you better at sport. Well, that's obvious. Anyone could have written that, couldn't they? But he goes in depth at looking at tennis and golf and chess and other sports, examines lots of evidence and real-life stories, and explains eventually that the way to become the world number one at any sport is by practicing for 10,000 hours. Yes, 10,000 hours, or 1,000 hours per year for 10 years. He gives examples of the Williams sisters in tennis or Tiger Woods in golf and others who've played and practiced for 10,000 hours in a purposeful way, including a chess player so skilled he could play blindfold against several people at the same time and win all the matches. In the case of Matthew's side, his rise to being number one table tennis player in the UK involved a series of chance events, which include his parents, who are not sports people, bought a table tennis table. His brother was very keen as well and provided an instant practice partner. And, chance of all, if he'd lived a few doors down in the same street, he would have gone to a different school because of a different catchment. But the school that he went to had a very enthusiastic PE teacher who filtered children into the nearby Amiga Table Tennis Club from, from which a number of girls and boys became national champions. I know that from personal experience that with any sport, putting in purposeful practice brings better results. In my case, a particular sport was judo. And for me as well, there were a number of chance events that happened for me. Because my dad was in the army and might, might have needed to go abroad, I went to a school in Wantage and not Wallingford, which was a natural catchment. And we had Saturday morning school and compulsory at my school after, it was an after-school club for judo. My dad said, I needed toughening up, so I went. I had an instant practice partner, a boy called Pete Church, who was in my class at school and was equally keen and enthusiastic. We, like Matthew Syed, had a visionary coach as well from nearby Farringdon, and he would come to our school and many other places around Oxfordshire and encourage youngsters around my age to carry on with a sport. Well, Pete and I went and competed in the junior national championships, and both of us actually won gold medals, Pete in the heavyweights and me in the lightweights. Well, that's a lot about sport, but what about other spheres of our lives? Does purposeful practice make a difference? Over our lives, we've got many more hours available to us than a sports person practicing because we have every day, all the waking hours of every day, so perhaps 16 a day. And these 16 hours a day provide many opportunities, many possibilities and many challenges. And Jesus and the Gospel stories encourages us to use our time for kindness, for compassion and for showing love for other people. Chance will play a part in all of our journeys. Who we meet, when we meet them, the circumstances of how we meet them, like the accounts of the table tennis and the judo. 
But within these moments of chance, moments of opportunity offered to us by God, we need to seize the day. We will make mistakes. We all do. Picasso is known to have painted 45 versions of one painting before getting it right. Henry Ford forgot to put the reverse gear into his first car. So even geniuses make mistakes. We all will. But we can learn from those mistakes. That's how sports people improve, and that's how we, how we all can improve as people, when we practice kindness and love to others. We're not called to be superheroes. We're called to be ourselves. And being ourselves, with our unique background, our unique life events, unique set of skills and abilities, we can practice small acts of kindness, and these will matter. These might be a phone call, listening to someone, or a word of encouragement. And the good news is this, the receiver feels better, and we as the giver feel better. So everybody gains. So my advice to you, keep practising. Thank you very much, David, for those uh, uh, thoughtful um, words. I'm sure that they will encourage us to go through the following week and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again fairly soon. Thank you. And now it's quiz time. First, the answers to last week's questions, which were all based on the theme of autumn. Question one. What is autumn known as in North America? And the answer is... Fall. The fall. Question two. Which English romantic poem composed to autumn after a walk near Winchester one autumnal evening? And the answer is... Keats. John Keats, yes. Three. Pumpkin fragments dated between 7,000 and 5,500 BC have been found in which country? A. China. B. Egypt. C. Germany. Or D. Mexico. And the answer is... D. Mexico. Question four. Who did Autumn Kelly marry in, nine, in May 2008? Peter. Who? It, the answer Peter is... Peter. Peter Phillips, yeah. who is the grandson of Queen Elizabeth II. And question five. Bonfire night takes place every November, but in which year did Guy Fawkes try to blow up Parliament? 1605. 1605. Right. Now, on to this week's questions, which all have uh, to do with islands. Question one. In which ocean do the Falkland Islands sit? Question two. Which is the largest island in the Mediterranean? Question three. On which island was Napoleon exiled? Question four. On which island would you find Carisbrook Castle? And question five, which inhabited island lies within the city of Oxford? And the answer to those questions will be given next week. And now we move on to two short court reports, which will be read by Jenny. And the first is headlined, Boy 13 is in court over £47,000 barn fire. A boy has appeared in court accused of involvement in a fire that caused almost £50,000 of damage to a barn near Chipping Norton. The child, who cannot be identified due to his age, was said to have been one of five youngsters interviewed in the wake of the blaze on Tank Farm on July 20th last year. 
He was then aged 12. It is estimated that damage caused by the fire was £47,000. The barn is owned by Oxfordshire County Council. Appearing in front of Oxford Youth Court last Wednesday, the now 13-year-old did not enter a plea to the allegation. The magistrates adjourned the case until October 25th for the police to consider whether the boy could be dealt with by the youth caution out of court. And the second uh, short article is headed Serviceman Accused of Assaulting His Ex-Partner. A soldier will stand trial next summer accused of attacking a former partner. Appearing before Oxford Crown Court last Thursday, Matthew Wickham, 28, of Portslade, Brighton, pleaded not guilty to assault causing actual bodily harm, intentional strangulation and damaging a knife that belonged to the woman. Prosecutors say the offences were committed in Bryce Norton on August 26. The judge, recorder John Bate Williams, granted Wickham bail to return to the Crown Court on August 7th next year for the three- to four-day trial. The defendant was bailed with conditions not to go to the Carterton area except for work trips to the RAF base at Bryce Norton. Now I've got a story about a conservation project headed Restoration Plans for Wildlife's Fen. A team of rangers and volunteers have been scything reeds in a plan to restore an area of alkaline fen at P. Pitts in West Oxfordshire. And that's P spelt P-E-A. Fenland is one of Britain's most threatened and precious homes for rare plants and wildlife. The National Trust is working with Freshwater Habitats Trust, which provided the tools and scythe training to protect this internationally important habitat. Most people associate Fenland with the lowlands of East Anglia and are unaware that alkaline fens are also a special feature of the Oxfordshire countryside. The fens in Oxfordshire are fed by springs emerging from chalk or limestone in valleys and on hill slopes. Alkaline fens support many wetland plants that are rare or endangered nationally or in the county, such as the carnivorous butterwort, grass of Parnassus, marsh helleborine and marsh lousewort. Endangered insects include species of soldier fly, horsefly and damselfly, while mollusks include the Demoulin's world snail. This is the tiny, rare snail the size of a pinhead that almost stopped the Newbury Bypass being built in 1996 when the construction was set to destroy its habitat. Richard Watson, countryside manager at the National Trust, said, It is great to see this quiet corner of the estate being brought back to life. It is the only fen site we look after in West Oxfordshire, so it's a really important habitat. It's been great to work with the Freshwater Habitats Trust on expertise and training for our staff and volunteers to take on the management of the site. The work party cleared back trees and reeds at pea pits to give the rare plants some light. The cuttings were used to create dams to slow down water flow and create pools. The team also planted marsh lousewort 
to stop the dominant reeds taking up the majority of light. Marsh lousewort does this by finding another plant's roots underground and extracting water and nutrients from the host plant. This parasitic action weakens the reeds, allowing a diversity of other, more delicate plants to come through. While the marsh lousewort is establishing, the National Trust will continue to cut the reeds and scrub in late summer, and, if funding and a suitable grazier can be found, may eventually fence the area and graze it with cattle. Fen Conservation Officer at Freshwater Habitats Trust, Paola Perez, said, Along with other small freshwater habitats, alkaline fens have traditionally been overlooked, but they support a unique community of plant and animal species. Restoring and protecting these rare alkaline fen habitats is a vital part of our work to reverse the decline in freshwater biodiversity. We're thrilled to be collaborating with the National Trust to restore the alkaline fen at Coles Hill and are very grateful to their volunteers for all their hard work. Uh, the headline for this article is Palace Named Most Popular Shot Spot for Wedding Days. Blenheim Palace in Oxfordshire is the most popular place for wedding pictures in the UK, according to one social media platform's users. The Woodstock stately home has been revealed as the most Instagrammed wedding venue from data collected this week. This puts the Duke of Marlborough's estate ahead of Grade 1 listed Hampton Court Palace in the London Borough of Richmond, as well as Leeds Castle in Kent. Blenheim Palace is an extensive country house, which was built between 1705 and 1722 and designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1987. Dubbed England's Finest View, it has set the scene for film series including Harry Potter and James Bond. It was also the birthplace of Sir Winston Churchill. The Instagram study was conducted by Yorkshire-based printing company Aura Print. And another award for Blenheim. The headline reads, Blenheim named Attraction of the Year by Trade Association. Blenheim Palace has been named Attraction of the Year at a top industry event. Trade Association UK Inbound presented the award in front of over 350 tourism and hospitality professionals at the Awards for Excellence Gala Dinner at Belfast City Hall. Winners were decided by a panel of independent judges from across the tourism industry. Heather Carter, Managing Director of Visitor Attraction at Blenheim Palace, said, Winning this award truly means a lot to us, as it is testament to the hard work, dedication and passion of each and every department that makes Britain's greatest palace all that it is today. It is an honour to be crowned among an impressive shortlist of visitor attractions, creating such fierce competition and fantastic to come together as an industry to celebrate our world-class tourism businesses. And now we come to Editor's Choice, which this week, again, is in two parts. Firstly, what happened on this day in years gone by, 
And secondly, what happened on this day in Oxfordshire? So here we go with the dates. Firstly, in 1143, King Alfonso VII of Leon recognises Portugal as a kingdom. In 1568, the Conference of York begins a trial against Mary, Queen of Scots. In 1665, the University of Kiel is founded. 1762, the opera Orfeo and Euricide by Gluck is first produced in Vienna. In 1789, the French Revolution, women of Paris marched to Versailles to confront Louis XVI about his refusal to promulgate abolition of feudalism, demand bread and have the king and his court move to Paris. Four years later, in the French Revolution, Christianity is disestablished in France. In 1867, the last day of the Julian calendar was recognised in Alaska. In 1905, Orville and Wilbur Wright make a circling flight of 24.2 miles in 39 minutes. In 1915, the Allies land troops on the northern Greek city of Salonika. Greece was nominally neutral, but allowed the landing. In 1916, Adolf Hitler was wounded in the left thigh by an exploding shell during the Battle of the Somme. And in 1962, the Beatles released their first record of Love Me Do. So, to uh, the happenings of today in Oxfordshire. On this day in 1885, Jackson's Oxford Journal reported the latest episode in the tumultuous incumbency of the Reverend George Moore in the parish of Cowley under the heading Stormy Vestry Meeting. A newspaper said... A meeting of the parishioners was held on Thursday evening under the presidency of the vicar, the Reverend George Moore. At the outset of the proceedings, they were of a disorderly nature, a question being raised as to the regularity of the meeting. Mr W Ploughman, as church warden, asserted his right to call a vestry without the consent of the vicar, which the vicar immediately disputed. Personalities and insults were then freely indulged in, and some time was spent wrangling about the allotments uh, money received therefrom, who possessed it, and what had become of it. And ultimately, the meeting broke up without coming to any definite results. This was actually a reasonably peaceful meeting by the Reverend Moore's standards. A forceful, opinionated character convinced of his own righteousness he was physically attacked at a vestry meeting in Eastern, Easter 1887 by a man who claimed the vicar had buried his two baby daughters like pigs. As well as being a clergyman, the Reverend Moore was also a farmer, landlord and horse dealer, and some felt these interests took priority over his religious duties. He collected rents owed from his uh, perch high, high in his trap, Arriving at the cottage in question, he would lean over, run his whip along the fence and call out, RENT! Any poor soul who could not afford to pay that week was thus exposed to humiliation. The murky nature of the Reverend Moore's vestry accounts caused much ill-feeling, and on the other hand, he was a powerful preacher, eliciting laughter and tears in equal measure. His harvest festivals were famous for miles around, and had to be split over two Sundays. Of course, one could reserve a front pew for a small fee. 
And now on to our notice board. Now, the first notice that we have is that the 45th Annual General Meeting and Election of Officers and Committee Members will take place uh, on the 6th of November from 7 till 9 o'clock. It will be held in the Radford Room of the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney. You're warmly invited to attend the uh, AGM of the Whitney Talking News with a companion. This is an opportunity to meet other listeners and our volunteers. Mike Grantham wishes to step down as listener representative on the committee and we will be pleased to hear from any other visually impaired listener to take over from Mike. At the end of the business there will be light refreshments and we hope that you will come and join us. If you're able to attend, please let Doreen Turner know by telephoning 01993 657745. And also the Whitney Torch Fellowship for the Visually Impaired meets on the first Saturday of every month at two o'clock in the Welcome Church, High Street. New members are very welcome. Contact 01993 891-639. There are no listeners' birthdays to report this week, but sadly we have two deaths reported in the uh, Whitney Gazette. The first is Patricia Ball, who passed away on the 26th of September, aged 73. And she came from Whitney. And the second is Rosemary Hitchcock, who died aged 81 years, uh, date unspecified, and she came from Milton under Witchwood. And now we get back to our articles from the uh, Whitney Gazette, the next of which is about Forest School and is going to be read by Jenny. Forest School leaders offer adventures. Parents and carers can join Forest School leaders for a session of child-led exploration in a green space around Whitney. Each session, from 9.30 in the morning to 12.30pm, will be led by two qualified experts who will bring simple resources and lead an adventure with your preschoolers. The sessions will be on Thursday, on October the 5th at Ducklington Lake, October the 12th at Mill Meadow, October the 19th at Ducklington Lake, and on November the 2nd at Mill Meadow, and on November the 9th at Ducklington Lake. Rain will not stop play. Wild wind and lightning will. If wind or lightning is forecast, the session will be rescheduled to another date. Email contactnaturenow at gmail.com to book a place on a free session. This is a story about a local mystery that's recently been solved titled Mysterious Stone Boulders Memorial to COVID Pandemic. The deepest significance of two stones near a bench in Whitney can be revealed following confusion around their origin. People in the town have been speculating over the new addition which can be found near the Lees Park in Station Lane. Some suggested the memorial looked like a gateway to another dimension, while others questioned the source. But it seems that the stones carry a much deeper significance than might be initially thought. The heather slate boulders are a memorial called Together But Apart, cut in two and placed two metres apart to represent social distancing that was required at the height of the pandemic. A nearby bench has been installed for quiet contemplation to remember and grieve. 
Town Councillor Ruth Smith said, Facing St Mary's Church, the dramatic stones and historic backdrop are a waypoint for people to pause and take a moment to reflect. The memorial installation is almost complete, but awaiting a plaque for the bench. Those present at a town council meeting in November last year agreed that the concept was beautiful, one rock symbolising those lost, with the other symbolising those who went above and beyond. There had been discussion over the inclusion of a metal plaque to title the memorial, but this was deemed too expensive. And there's a photograph next to the story of the two standing stones uh, on the grass at the Lees, looking quite dramatic in uh, bright sunlight. Cosy local pub reopens after stylish makeover. An oldie-worldie pub has reopened after being returned to its former glory with a makeover. The Black Horse in Salford, just outside Chipping Norton, has undergone extensive refurbishment after being bought by new Cotswold pub group Lion Hearth. The kitchen will serve all-day lunches, pub classics and a relaxed dinner menu set around the grill and rotisserie, sourced within 20 miles where possible. The one-bedroom Salford Cottage, a bedroom suite, can be booked for overnight stays. The opening is the first of a pipeline of new launches for Lionhearth Group over the next 12 months. Managing Director Scott MacDonald said, We're excited to welcome locals and visitors back to one of our favourite spots outside of Chipping Norton, the Black Horse in Salford. We've given the property a new lease of life with stylish interiors that retain the all-important pub feel. Black Horse guests can tuck into simple lunches and pub classics throughout the week with an additional dinner menu available in the evening. The interiors have kept the character of the property with a deep maroon and forest green colour scheme paired with dark antique wood, classic panelling and mood lighting. Financial Chief Steps Down from District Council The Cabinet Member for the Finance at West Oxfordshire District Council has resigned, it has been confirmed. Councillor Dan Levy, who has stepped down as Executive Member for Finance, was thanked for doing a fantastic job in challenging financial times. Liberal Democrat Mr Levy will be replaced by fellow party member Alaric Smith, who was previously Executive Member for Leisure and Major Projects. As part of a mini-reshuffle, Liberal Democrat Councillor Tim Sumner will join the Cabinet as the new Executive Member for Leisure and Major Projects. Andy Graham, leader of the council, said, I would like to thank Councillor Levy for his service as the finance portfolio holder and he has done a fantastic job carefully managing the council's finances during what is a challenging time for local government. Councillor Smith will be a brilliant replacement to lead on the council finances 
with his extensive professional experience in the finance sector. I'm also very pleased to welcome Councillor Sumner to the Executive and he will be leading on the leisure and major projects for portfolio. This is an incredibly important brief for delivering for the people of West Oxfordshire and I'm very confident he will carry on Councillor Smith's work and deliver great things for the district. Rock legends join TV designer for art show. Rock and roll royalty, authors and artists all congregated at an art gallery in Burford to see the opening night of Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen's first solo painting exhibition. The interior designer is best known for appearing on BBC programme Changing Rooms, has recently turned his back on presenting to pursue more creative aspirations. In 1986, the television star left Camberwell School of Art in London with a degree in fine art painting and and now, as he prepares to enter his 60s, he has decided to pick up his paintbrushes once again and embark on a career as an artist. The launch of his first solo painting exhibition, called Garden of Baroque Delights, was held at Cotswold Contemporary Gallery in Burford, on Saturday, September the 16th. The star-studded party included the likes of author Jilly Cooper, eco-entrepreneur Dr David Williams, and artist Dr PJ Crook. Status quo drummer John Coughlin also turned up to support Lawrence's new endeavours with his wife Jilly, as well as punk princess Toya Wilcox and her husband, King Crimson guitarist Robert Fripp. A spokesperson for Cotswold Contemporary Gallery said, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen's dreamy romantic paintings were loved by all and his extraordinarily virtuosic classical technique blew away fellow painters like punk princess Toya Wilcox, who said she found herself getting lost in his landscapes. The exhibition will be on display at Cotswold Contemporary Gallery in Burford and then will go on to the Cotswold Contemporary Gallery in Sirencester. And finally, yes, it's the return of everyone's TV favourite, Jeremy Clarkson. Clarkson and co start more farm filming. Production is underway on the third season of Clarkson's Farm with new pictures showing filming taking place near Diddley Squat Farm. Amazon Prime confirmed in October last year that a third series was in the works but had not said when it will be released except that it will be in 2024. In February, Jeremy Clarkson tweeted that his rough guess was that the show would return 18 months from then. He later gave an update saying, we actually won't finish filming it till October. Prime Video said the third series of the smash hit show will follow Jeremy, Lisa, Caleb, Gerald and Cheerful Charlie as they tap into the currently unfarmed 513 acres of Diddley Squat's 1,000 acres with vast stretches of thick woodland, perfect for foraging and untouched lakes bursting with possibilities. As well as the returning cast, a few new characters will be welcome to Diddley Squat 2, it said, but these are yet to be announced. 
Seasons 1 and 2 of Clarkson's Farm are available to watch on Prime Video. Well, that's all we have time for this evening. As well as listening to the USB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways for you to listen to all our editions, including magazines. These include internet, podcast, and full details can be seen on our website at wtn.org.uk. Just follow the link to listen online. Please stay listening for the TNF radio listings and audio described TV programmes. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. And remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of uh, labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, simply put a slip of paper in your pouch and we will then phone you. Also, if you'd like to comment on any of the items or the content that you've heard this evening, please put a slip in your pouch and we will be very pleased to hear from you. If on any week you've not received your stick, for whatever reason, or there's a problem with producing the sticks, you can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993 555 986. So it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette and Julianne uh, Godson for the stories we've used tonight. Thanks to our technical expert, Rob Oxpring, and uh, Henry and I will be copying the sticks later on and posting them out to you. Our volunteers who've been checking the pouches and memory sticks you've returned to us and keeping the records have been Valerie Palmer and Jenny Wiley, who then doubled up as a reader as we were one short this evening. And finally, our four readers, Jenny Wiley, Henry Spielberg, Dorothy Allen and Brian Hare. And I'm sure everyone would like to say goodbye. And so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights starting on Saturday, October 7th. And drama Brick Lane, part two, an adaptation of Monica Alley's novel 245 Radio 4. The Yellow Wallpaper, an adaptation of a short story by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, is on at four o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. Paddy O'Connell's Music and Chat, Radio 2, 6pm, in for Lisa Tarbuck. And the real comedy controllers, the things that made us laugh, favourite moments from comedies, the 60s and 70s, is at 9 o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. While Calm Classics with Mining Class is on Classic FM at 10pm. Sunday, October 8th, Isabella in the Forest. Isabel is a sound recordist and blind since birth and has a project to record the sounds of one of Europe's last primeval forests. 1.30, Radio 4. Drama on 3 in the evening, The Miser by Moliere, a rumbustious comedy starring Toby Jones. 
7.30, Radio 3. Sunday night is, of course, Music Night, a concert inspired by children's classics on Radio 2 at 8pm. While Moira Stewart meets Claire Balding, significant music and memories from her life on Classic FM at 9pm, rounding off your weekend. On to programmes then that are serialised right throughout the week. So same time, same radio station, each day, Monday to Friday. Book of the week, going infinite, the rise and fall of cryptocurrency entrepreneur Sam Bankman-Fried. 9.45 each morning, Radio 4. Naga Manchetti and Adrian Charles have news and topical conversations from 11am all week on Radio 5 Live. Composer of the week at 12 noon on Radio 3 this week is Foray. An almanac of anxiety in search of a calmer mind, an exploration of how people with mental illnesses can feel better by connecting with the elements, is on at 1.45 all week on Radio 4. Smooth Classics at 7 with Seb Sones, three hours of calming classical music, 7pm, Classic FM. While Book at Bedtime, Open Throat by Henry Hoke, a mountain lion embarks on a journey through Los Angeles, 10.45 every night, Radio 4. Back to some of the highlights then for the rest of the week, Monday, October 9th. The Radio 3 lunchtime concert, the pianist and organist Wayne Marshall will improvise on music suggested by the audience. Radio 3 for this, 1pm. Baldy, period murder mystery with David Threlthal as Father Baldy, 3 o'clock, Radio 4 Extra. History's secret heroes, Jack King and the Fifth Column, Bank worker Eric Roberts joined MI5 during World War II to hunt British Nazi sympathisers. It's all on at four o'clock on Radio 4. Or finally for Monday, The Blues Show with Keris Matthews, Radio 2, 9pm. Tuesday, October 10th, Young Again, a new series with Kirsty Young inviting a guest to look back at their younger selves. Actor Daniel Kalua, 11am, Radio 4. Poet Laureate in the Arctic, Simon Armitage travels to the Arctic to see the effects of climate change. 11.30 in the morning, Radio 4. Afternoon drama is Trust, set in a school with a new system of teaching and building works, providing a challenging environment. 2.15, Radio 4 on Tuesday. It's another encounter for the detective priest, Baldi, at 3 o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. While Best Medicine, Kiri Pritchard-McLean celebrates the inspiration past, present and future medicines. Radio 4 for this at 6.30 Tuesday evening. Radio 3 in concert from the Royal Festival Hall on Tuesday evening includes works by Sibelius and Shostakovich. 7.30pm, Radio 3. While the Jazz Show with Jamie Cullum is on Radio 2 at 9. Wednesday, October 11th, Just One Thing with Michael Mosley. The programme is just 15 minutes long, but the tip on breathing through your nose may well help improve memory, lung function and even healthier gums. 9.30 in the morning on Wednesday, Radio 4. Alexi sails strangers on a train this week, sees Alexi travel from Hull to Liverpool. 
and chats with, as always, some very interesting passengers. 11.30 in the morning, Radio 4. Wednesday's afternoon concert works by Walton, Janacek and Wagner. Radio 3, 2pm. Drama continues on Radio 4 with Fault Lines, Blood Deception. Yes, the continuation of the saga of a cursed family, starring the excellent Glenda Jackson. Radio 4 for this, 2.15, Wednesday afternoon. Some early evening comedies in contrast to that. Hancock's Half Hour at 6pm, followed by King of Bath, comedy about Bo Nash at 6.30. A panel game, It's Not What You Know at 7 and finally, comedy sketches, the right time at 7.30pm. All those for an evening of early comedy, Radio 4 Extra. Staying with Wednesday, and Radio 3 in concert has works by Sibelius, Ravel and Stravinsky at 7.30pm. When it hits the fan, a discussion on crisis management relates up-to-the-minute news events, Radio 4 at 9. While alternatively, you could listen to The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe on Radio 2 at the same time. And if you want to listen to both, you can always listen to one on BBC Sounds. Thursday, October 12th, and Sliced Bread, the consumer show with Greg Foote, is back for a good few weeks, and this week he investigates weighted blankets. 12.25, Radio 4. The drama in the afternoon, The Adventurers, scenes from the East India Company. 2.15, Radio 4. A Man Alone, the first of three plays about the successful man dogged by a sense of failure, is on Radio 4 Extra at 3. We mentioned her earlier on Classic FM, well she's back in her usual slot on Radio 4 on Thursday. Ramblings with Claire Balding, walking around Albury on 7, near to the banks of the longest river in the country. 3 o'clock, Radio 4. Any questions on Russia? A debate on how the language and tone of the debate has changed through history. Radio 4, 4pm. 4 While the country show with Bob Harris is on at 9 o'clock on Radio 2, rounding off Thursday. Finally, Friday, October 13th. A Man Alone, the second play. Radio 4 Extra for this at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Feedback, there's a new series, listeners' views on the week's programmes, are put to the programme makers of the BBC. Radio 4 for this, 4.30pm. Alternatively, the listening service. Across the ages, composers have been aware of the ability of music to evoke a sense of the ethereal has a strange and powerful effect. Radio 3, 4.30pm as well. Add to playlist. Guests help create a playlist of five pieces of music, which are all linked in some way. Is on Radio 4 at 7.15 on Friday evening. While Verdi's Requiem is Radio 3 in concert at 7.30pm on Radio 3. Soul music, an explanation of Edith Piaf's Je ne regret rien at 8.30pm on Radio 4 Extra. While Monsters of Music with Tom Allen... An exploration of the world of Anton Bruckner is coming up at nine o'clock on Radio 4 Extra. That's it. Thank you to Angela for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. 
Now for the audio described television programs for the week starting Saturday the 7th and ending Friday the 13th of October 2023. Compiled by John and read by Lizzie. Let's start with Saturday. How about starting the day with some natural history? Alice Roberts finds evidence of a conflict between a cave bear and a lion in Ice Age Giants on BBC Two at 10am. An aubergine pizza is on the menu for Nadia's Simple Spices on BBC One at 11.30. Ainsley features green vegetables in the final part of Ainsley's Good Mood Food on ITV1 at 12:40. Strictly Come Dancing continues with Movie Week on BBC1 at 6:20. Audio description is definitely on for its repeat on BBC2 at 1:40 on Thursday. That's very early in the morning on Friday. Or how about a fun film? Caveboy Doug challenges the invading Bronze Age army for the ownership of a valley. It's actually a football match, but Doug needs a team. Early Man on BBC Three at seven p.m. Over to Channel Four, where there's a royal guide to parks and gardens. Gardens are where new monarchs make their mark. King Charles spent decades transforming Highgrove, and the late Queen and Prince Philip reworked the Balmoral estate. How and why they do it is shown on Channel Four at seven thirty p.m. Still on Channel Four. There's an Irish journey. In Julia Bradbury's Irish Journey, the broadcaster returns to the country of her birth to journey and starting in the south, travelling through Ireland's stunning natural landscape. This new series starts at eight thirty-five. An important witness is found dead in part five. Then, in the final part. Cormac and Hazel realize that Kalana is missing and fear the worst. All will be revealed in the final two episodes of Black Snow, on BBC Four, starting at nine. On to Sunday the eighth. Key politicians and public figures are interviewed in Sunday with Laura Kinsberg. At nine this morning on BBC One, Bargain Hunt from Liverpool is on BBC One at eleven thirty. A London couple are looking to relocate to Derbyshire. Can they escape to the country? On BBC One at two forty-five. Against all the odds is the subtitle of this week's look. At the breeding strategies of animals for whom the odds for successful mating are unusually high, the mating game on BBC One at four fifty. Strictly Come Dancing: The Results is on BBC One at seven fifteen.
There's some more natural history. Following the lives of six tiny animals as they struggle to survive. Tonight, a turtle hatchling risks her life crossing a busy highway in Canada while searching for a suitable wetland in which to live. Big Little Journeys on BBC Two at eight. Would you like a garden bench for the garden of your dreams? That's the first challenge for the woodworking enthusiasts, in part one of the new series of handmade Britain's best woodworker, on Channel Four at eight. In the final episode, the fishing duo returned to the Peak District, where they filmed their very first program. Paul on a quest for rainbow trout. While Bob has been given permission to fish for chub, Mortimer and Whitehouse gone fishing on BBC Two at nine. Now programs that are on at the same time each weekday. Caught red-handed at ten forty-five. Homes under the hammer at eleven fifteen. Bargain hunt. At twelve fifteen, doctors at one forty-five, but not on Friday. Money for nothing at two fifteen. Escape to the country at three p.m. The repair shop at three forty-five. All these programs are on BBC One. James Martin's Great British Adventure on ITV One at two p.m. Serengeti Free on BBC Two at four fifteen. Heartbeat two programs on at five fifty-five and six fifty-five p.m. on ITV Free. Life. David Attenborough explores behaviour patterns in nature on Monday and Tuesday. Then from Wednesday to Friday, he's in Africa. All on BBC Four at seven. The soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Looking now at Monday, the ninth of October. The Bismarck singer-songwriter Sid Barrett, poet Federico Garcia Lorca, and baseball player Magic Johnson all feature in the specialist rounds of Mastermind on BBC Two at seven thirty. Jimmy visits a farm that has set out to single-handedly save the famous kiwi flightless bird. In the final part of Jimmy Doherty's New Zealand Escape, on Channel Four at eight. The real-life drama based on the search for the Yorkshire Ripper continues, as following the murder of another woman, the investigation moves to Bradford. The Long Shadow is on ITV One at nine. There's a new factual drama starting on BBC One at nine, and examining the crimes of Jimmy Savile, and featuring testimony from some of his victims. The reckoning starts at nine on BBC One. 
There is a fair choice at nine. The turmoil of the seventeen hundreds is illustrated via the fortunes of a Scottish aristocrat, a staunch Jacobite. When his cause was defeated, his sons still went on to become pillars of the London banking class. Union with David Olasoga is on BBC Two at nine. And now for Tuesday the tenth, there's an inspirational film on Film Four. Three unsung heroes working for NASA in the 1960s. The can-do spirit of these African American ladies make for uplifting and enlightening entertainment. Hidden Figures is on Film Four at 6:30 p.m. Is the simple watercolor really painted by Cezanne? If so, could it be worth a hundred thousand pounds? Also, although it has already been rejected by the Pizarro Committee, is the drawing of cabbage sellers really by Pizarro? Can Fiona and Philip confirm that they are genuine? Fake or fortune? Is on BBC One at eight pm. It's bread week in the tent, so can the contestants bake a classic cottage loaf? Find out in the Great British Bake Off on Channel Four at eight pm. Saville, now at the height of his fame, engineers more opportunities for charity work. To conceal his abusive behaviour, there is testimony from some of Seville's real victims at the end of part two of the reckoning, on BBC One at nine. In the nineteen eighties, the royal family faced new threats. The queen awakes to find an intruder in her bedroom. Then conflict breaks out in the South Atlantic, and Prince Andrew joins the campaign to reclaim the Falkland Islands, while Charles and Diana engage in warfare of their own. The inside story is told in *The Real Crown: Inside the House of Windsor* on ITV One at 9 p.m. On to Wednesday, the eleventh. Two dolls with missing limbs and tired bodies, a nineteen fifties drum kit, a two thousand year old terracotta figure, and a wooden toy box that belonged to a family who fled from the Nazis in the nineteen thirties, are all in need of help in the repair shop, on BBC One at eight. Claire operates on Jen, who has spina bifida, which is tangling the nerves in her spinal column. Consultant John tries to save a patient's liver by removing a broken stent with his endoscope. These and other cases covered are in Geordie Hospital on Channel Four at eight. In a third choice at eight. 
Nadia prepares an authentic chicken curry infused with aromatic whole spices and then goes on to share her family's secrets of the samosa. Nadia's Simple Spices on BBC Two at 8. It's all round to Nigella's for lunch as her friends took into a leg of lamb with garlic potatoes. Nigella at my table on BBC Two at 8.30. The next checkpoint is in Sarajevo, but to get there, they have to pass through five other countries and budgets are running low. Will they get there? Find out in Celebrity Race Across the World on BBC One at nine. 37-year-old Stephanie was abandoned as a newborn. Now she wants to trace her family and let her biological parents know she has led a happy life. Find out how she gets on in DNA Family Secrets on BBC Two at nine. Lexi has no choice but to help crime boss Cal Morris with a secret business transaction. Later, a shock discovery threatens the safety of her family. Payback is on ITV1 at 9. Thursday the 12th. As HMS Queen Elizabeth enters the contested and potentially hazardous waters of the South China Sea, the Chinese Navy react by probing the vessel with submarines and surface warships. The warship, Tour of Duty, on BBC Two at seven. Staying with the nautical theme, father and son team in Lan and Trim respond to report that a kayaker has failed to return to shore. While in Flint, the lifeboat crew are called to deal with the beaching of a fin whale. Saving Lives at Sea on BBC Two at 8. The Harris-Hawley family have their possessions laid out, including 437 DVDs, 59 hairbrushes and 1,011 toys. Char and Dan with their children, Myra and Cece, are urged to get rid of half of all they see before moving back into their newly cleaned house. Sort Out Your Life with Stacey Solomon is on BBC One at 8. There's an extra slice of Bake Off on Channel 4 at 8. Stars from the stage, screen and sports celebrate ordinary people in the Pride of Britain Awards on ITV1 at 8 tonight. During basic training, 21-year-old Hope Menwaring, who is only 5 foot 2, faces having to carry comrades twice her weight in a mock casualty evacuation scenario, but is determined not to fail. Find out how she gets on in part two of Soldier on BBC One at nine. 
Finally, Friday the 13th of October. In the paradise of thieves, a man is found dead inside a bank vault, and Father Brown needs to solve the crime to save an innocent man. This is the first of two episodes of Father Brown, starting at eight. In the second episode, The Deadly Seal, starting at nine, the priest is told about an assassination plot which puts him in a difficult situation. Both of these are on the Drama Channel. The Coronation Street fans amongst you will have been watching Corey from eight to nine on ITV One. Well, stay on that channel for Bradley Walsh to throw a party for Rita. Who joined the cast in December 1964? Help celebrate her life from the Tower Ballroom in Blackpool to an emotional reunion with Thelma Barlow, who played her partner in The Cabin, Mavis. Barbara Knox at 90 is on ITV One at nine. Agnes becomes concerned that there are too many skeletons in her family's closet. In tonight's Mrs. Brown's Boys, on BBC One at nine thirty, Maria Altman and her husband fled from Austria to the United States when the Nazis invaded Vienna. Decades later, she discovered that artwork belonging to her family and stolen by the Nazis has been obtained by the Austrian government. Woman in Gold. Is the late night feature film on BBC Two at eleven o five tonight. I hope you find something of interest this week. TNF Soundings. 